what a good God who saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose that is grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began Thank you, Father, that iron sharpened iron. We are here to receive revelation knowledge, be edified, be equipped, and be matured. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Open the eyes of our hearts, flood our hearts with the revelation knowledge of your Son, Jesus. That your purpose and your will will be established on this earth. And the knowledge of God will fill the earth like the seas covers the earth. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, please be seated. Just appreciate the Lord. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Turn to someone close to you. Tell the person you look awesome. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You ready for the word? So, we want to continue with our teaching on Christ, the riches of our eternal forgiveness. Now we we put a little hold on our message because we wanted to do some teaching on growth and increase. Last time we, we taught we were looking at scriptures that seemed to contradict the reality of our eternal forgiveness. And um, I need you to pay attention to me this morning. disallow any kind of distraction because these are eternal issues. I'm sharing with you the heart of God. So I need your ears. Scriptures that seem to contradict the reality of our eternal forgiveness. Now we've dealt with about 15 teachings on what forgiveness is according to the New Testament. Now, if you've been following our teaching for some time, you should know by now that we are a New Testament-based church. So we stress on the New Testament. We teach the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. So I advise that if you want to understand this subject on forgiveness, we've done 15 teachings on it. Just take a pen drive. You don't need to take any money yet. Just take a pen drive. Just copy the message or you can just download Anchor on your phone as an app on your uh, Android phone. Then you can just type Isaac Love Papo. Then you can be able to listen to a teaching. But I need you to take these things very serious. Because if you misunderstand what we are teaching, you will bring injury to yourself. Praise God. So, we shared at a time that um, 
we need to understand what God said about sin in the Old Testament and what God says about sin in the New Testament. This is very key. I also said we need to understand the reality or the concept of sin before the cross and the reality and the concept of sin after the cross. In other words, we need to understand the differences between pre-resurrection realities and post-resurrection realities. When I say pre-resurrection realities, I mean events that happened in the Old Testament account before Jesus Christ died. When I say post-resurrection realities, I mean events and realities that took place after Jesus died, was buried and was raised from the dead. These are two different timelines. And as believers, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, I dropped some very sensitive bomb at a time. I want to repeat that again. Now, listen carefully. I said that um, it is important to note that God said different things to different people at different times in different dispensations, circumstances, and covenants. That is why the Bible must be rightly divided. I repeat that again. It is important to note that God said different things to different people at different times in different dispensations, circumstances, covenants. That is why the Bible must rightly be divided. You can't just take anything at all from the Bible and make a revelation or a doctrine out of it. And that is what we have a lot in the church today. Everybody reads the Bible anyhow. So we end up confusing ourselves and putting ourselves into bondage. Praise God. Now, this teaching is so critical because it, it can really affect how you relate with God if you don't understand uh, forgiveness. Hallelujah. Now, we give some examples of, uh, of how sin was described in the Old Testament. Uh, we look at Isaiah chapter 50, 59 verse 2. Now, let's quickly do a recap of this. He says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, this is in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2. When this scripture was inspired and written, it was guarding or guiding an event that took place with God's relationship with Israel. When Jesus came and died, this scripture cannot be true of the believer. Now, he says your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Now, question, can the believer's sin cause him to separate from God in the New Testament? You see, logic does not answer the scripture's answers. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the verse 18, we need to look at this. Now, he says, and all things are of God who has reconciled remember he says your sins have made him hid his face from you your iniquities have made him what separate himself the bible says all things are of god who has reconciled uh, us to himself by jesus so jesus made the difference in the new testament now he says reconcile us to himself the word reconcile means to break the gap your iniquity separated you from God. He says, in Christ Jesus, you have been reconciled to God. The word reconciliation is katalaso, which means to bridge the gap or to make friends or to cancel enmity. So he's saying that we have been reconciled by Jesus Christ and have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So in the New Testament, a man that has received Jesus Christ is not only reconciled, he has been given the ministry of reconciliation. 
The verse 19 is much intriguing. He says, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So first of all, not only are we reconciled, now this reconciliation is not between God and believers. The Bible says, For God was in Christ, reconciling Christians, right? It says reconciling who? The world to himself. So every sinner today is already reconciled to God. When we preach the gospel and a man believes, he has accepted the reconciliation. Are you seeing this? So, sin does not separate a man from God. What separates a man from God is unbelief. Praise God. So, we have been reconciled to God. Isaiah 59 has been outdated by the redemptive work of Christ. Praise God. That is how we rightly divide the word of truth. He says, a workman who needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word rightly dividing is one Greek word, orthotomio, which means a, a straight cut or to rightly dissect the divine message. So I told you truths and revelations are scattered in the Bible. It's the duty of a believer who is called a workman, not a lazy man. A workman to rightly dissect. In other words, you must be able to distinguish that which is Old Testament and that which is new. You should be able to distinguish that which is flesh from the spirit. That which is law from grace. That is the job of a workman called a believer. Praise God. So the believer has been reconciled to God. Back to Isaiah 59 verse 2. He says, 59 verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and who? Your God. Now, look at the New Testament reality in Romans chapter 8, the verse 37. Watch this. He says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Look at the verse 38. Pay attention. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Now, look at these strong words. Next verse. He says, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to, shall be able to, shall be able to, come on, you are not here, shall be able to, you are almost here, shall be able to separate us from what? The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is good. So, nothing can separate us. But the Old Testament, he says, your iniquities have separated you. A believer must not walk in that realm. He is in the love of God. Praise God. This is good. So, we need to understand how sin was described and defined in the Old Testament and how it is defined in the New Testament. We define sin in the light of Christ. Listen, every New Testament reality is defined and explained in Christ. You cannot teach any doctrine outside of the divine redemptive work of Christ. This is so key. You cannot teach hell outside of the redemptive work of Christ. When you are preaching hell, you preach hell in the light that Jesus entered hell, defeated hell, rose again, that when a man believes in him, he also rises in that same reality. That's how we preach hell. When a man rejects that reality, he remains there. Let me give you an example. You are in Ghana. You want to go to US. There was a flight that was made ready. And the flight time was 8 p.m. 
after 8 p.m., the flight takes off. So people boarded this flight. 8 p.m., it took off, and you came at 8.5. Are you part of the flight? So what happens to you? You remain in your country. Without Christ, a man is already in hell. Christ is the flight. When he misses his opportunity for salvation, he remains where he was already. Are you seeing that? So it's not like God casting you there. You remain there because that, that is what sin and therefore did to you. Praise God. I hope you're following this. Good. So, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Isaiah 1, 18. Look, he says, come now, let us reason together. It sounds so spiritual, right? He says, say the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So now, how do you deal with sin? Come, let's reason together. Listen, in the New Testament, this scripture does not hold for you. We understood or understand sin in the light of what? Christ. Listen, in the New Testament, when it came to your sin, God does not reason with you. He reasoned with Christ. So, God called Christ and says, you, Jesus, let's reason together. Though their sins be as scarlet, through your redemptive work, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, through your blood, they shall be as wool. So, it is not you reasoning with God. In the New Testament, we don't reason with God for our sins. We receive the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7, he says, in whom we have. Like I told you, anytime you're reading the New Testament, you need to pay attention to grammar. He says, in whom we have. Ephesians 1.7, quickly. In whom we have. We have. We. 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 Now, do your hand this way. I think pictures can help you understand it. Do it this way. Uh-huh. Let's go. I have. Say, I have. 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 So, when you are going home, just be doing it. Because some Christians, that's the only way we can make you understand it. He says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. What is this redemption? The forgiveness of sins. So you can read without the word redemption there. He says, in whom we have through his blood, what? The forgiveness. What does a believer have? The forgiveness of sins. Trying to beg God to coin him is unbelief. Because God says you have. That means he has given it to you. If you are begging him for it, he says, where am I going to get it from? That thing is already operating in your spirit as salvation. Listen, it is pride to see good news and reject it. Do you hear what I said? It is pride to see what Christ has done and reject it. To hear that you are saved forever and says no. It is not true. To hear you are forgiven once and for all and says, no, it is not true. It is pride. And let me tell you something. Whether you accept that you are forgiven eternally or not, you are still forgiven eternally. Please, are you, are you catching this? So, it's not, I don't accept it. Whether you accept it or not, it's true about you. 
The only problem is that you will not enjoy like some of us are. We will not be rolling on the ground for what is already working in our spirit. I love the word. Okay, so back to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Okay, Psalm 51 the verse 10. <laughs> he says, cast me not away from that presence, O Lord. Papa David. So, you hear Christian praying, Lord, cast me not away from thy presence. Christ in you. Where is Christ? How does Christ cast away his body parts? Because you are the body of Christ. How does Christ cast away his bride? Because you are the bride of Christ. So, you see, when I find people fighting realities like this, I'm like, you see, people don't understand this. When I hear someone says, when you sin, you go to hell, I'm like, do you understand yourself when the Bible says this is the record that God has given to us eternal life and this life is in his son? Whosoever has the son has life. Whosoever does not have the son does not have life. The Bible calls that life eternal life. Eternal life. So, so the believer has what? Eternal life. Eternal means what? Eternal. Born again means, born again means what? Born again. Take not thy Holy Spirit for me. David, I wish you were my time. Take not the Holy Spirit for me. It sounds spiritual. When you realize that you are sober before God, a contrite heart, Lord. Take not your spirit. It sounds so spiritual. And the man who is just enjoying grace sounds proud. Because he is just watching and he's like, thank you Lord for the forgiveness of sins. He looks proud, but he's more humble. Because he has submitted under the redemptive work of Christ. Praise God. But you see, some people interpret pride differently. A proud man is one who sees redemptive realities and says no. I'm teaching good here. <laughs> he says, take not the Holy Spirit for me. In the New Testament, he says, he will give you the Spirit Forever. Forever. So the believer does not just have the Holy Ghost forever. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Ghost by whom you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, it's so amazing. He says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Ghost can be grieved. Yet he says, This Holy Spirit you are even grieving, he has already sealed you. So he can be grieved, yet you are sealed. <laughs> grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby he has sealed unto the day of redemption. So even in his grief, he has still sealed you. That doesn't make sense, man. Of course, the gospel does not make sense. The Bible says to the Jews, a stumbling block. <laughs> I love the word, man. Praise God. Now, listen to this. I wish I could proceed further with uh, uh, some, but 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. Thank you, Lord. Mr. Sam, I miss you. Where, where were you? See, and we know that the Son of God is come. Is come. Is come. And has given us an understanding understanding the word understanding in Greek is dianoa the word dianoa means a faculty of thinking 
So the Son of Man has come to give us a certain faculty by which we think toward God. So he says the Son of God is, is come and has given us an understanding that we may know him. That is true. So Jesus came to give us an understanding. Listen, his work he did is our understanding. What Jesus did from the cross to the throne is our understanding. We understand God in the light of Christ. Did someone get this? Good. And we are in him that is true. Even in his son Jesus, this is the true God and eternal life. Who is the true God? Who is the true God? And who is eternal life? Jesus. But he says he has given us an understanding. So the understanding Jesus has given us is the understanding we live by in our relationship with God. The understanding Jesus did not give you should not be your understanding. <laughs> let, me, let me push this further. <laughs> Woo! Oh, ignorance is wicked. Let's continue. Now, do you know that Moses can give you an understanding? Do you know Hezekiah can give you understanding? Do you know Isaiah can give you an understanding? Do you know Jonah can give you understanding? They can give you an understanding if you don't have the right lens of understanding. Because I've seen people who have read Genesis and came out more law preachers. I've seen people who have read Isaiah and they became tormentors. Of the church. I heard a man say his call is to rebuke the church and bring them to order. Nobody was called for that purpose. Your call is to rebuke the church and bring them to order. Who gave you that post? No, it's serious. Nobody was called to be a check on the church. Nobody was called to bring the church to order. I don't mean apostolic order, no. Nobody was called to rebuke Christians and bring them to... <laughs> we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is your job. Do it. It's to preach Christ. Are, are you seeing this? Is someone getting this? Oh, thank you, Lord. So Jesus is our understanding. So if you're reading Isaiah, you read Isaiah from the understanding of Christ. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 3, the verse 1. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He says, for this cause, I pull the prison of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Now watch this. He says, if ye have heard of the dispensation or economio, which means an economy on, or an administration. So he says, uh, if you have heard of the administration of the grace of God. So we are in the administration of grace. We are in the economy of grace. Listen carefully. He says, which was given to me for you what? Watch this. He says, how that by, not by logic, by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. 
Watch it. He says, whereby when ye when ye ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So in our reading or our study or our paying attention to the scriptures, we are supposed to understand the mystery of Christ. So we even need to explain sin in the light of the mystery of Christ. And that's what we've been doing all, all this while. Praise God. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 12. This is a very shaking scripture. Watch. He says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance. Do you see why I've always been teaching almost the same thing every time? Because Christians like forgetting. They like forgetting. If you promise them money, they will never forget. If you teach them gospel, they will forget. So even Paul had that problem in his time. And he says, I will not be negligent. That means a man of God must never be negligent to put the people into remembrance the things he has been teaching them. So he says, to always put you in remembrance of these things. Watch this. Though ye know them and be established in the that's what I want you to look. Be established in the present truth. That tells you there is outdated truth. Are you following this? That means there is outdated truth in the Bible. You, you can read the same Bible I'm reading and still come out a colloquial preacher. You can read the same Bible I'm reading and still be established in all truth. Preaching law is preaching outdated truth. Preaching the ordinances of Moses is preaching colloquial message. There is present truth and outdated truth. For your information, many don't know. Romans 3.20 he says something. <laughs> he says, oh, therefore, by the deeds of the, that means by doing the law. He says, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Watch this. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That means, <laughs> this same Bible we are reading, you can read it and become conscious of sin after reading. That is when you read it, when you read it wrongly. He says, the law gives you the knowledge of sin. Unto I said, thou shalt not. Did you know it was shall not? You never know. The law gives you the knowledge of sin, but does not give you the power of a sin. That was the problem. Well, what I'm saying is that a man can go into the Bible and come out with the knowledge of sin. And not the knowledge of Jesus. But we are told in the New Testament in 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 18 he says but grow in grace that is in the knowledge of our Lord that is Savior Jesus Christ. So there is a way a Christian grows. How does he grow? In grace. What is this grace? The knowledge of our Lord. So grace is the knowledge of Jesus. What knowledge is that? The word end is sky, which means even, or that is, or which is. So he's saying, but grow in grace. This grace is in the knowledge of our Lord. And that knowledge is his knowledge as Savior. 
That means how a believer grows is in the knowledge of salvation. That's how he grows. That's how he grows. And that's what we're teaching today. Praise God. Shout, I'm forgiven. And the devil is intimidated. Do you know the devil is happy when you think you're not forgiven? The devil is happy when you think you have to beg God every day for him to forgive you. He's happy because he knows he has won you. You are his favorite soul. I'm forgiven. Come on, I'm forgiven. I'm eternally forgiven. Glory. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews chapter 8, the verse 6. Now watch this. You see, I'm explaining this thing so you understand. So from today, you read anything in Old Testament and it scares you. Remember this. Never compare with the Old Testament with the New Testament. There are two different covenants. Praise God. Look, he says, but now had he obtained a more what? A more excellent ministry. Remember, Moses had a ministry to the people. Jesus has a more excellent ministry to the people of God. And he says, by how much also he is the mediator, like Moses was the mediator of the Old Testament. He is the mediator of a better covenant. The word better, don't think as good, better, best. The word better means noble and magnificent. So, he says he is the mediator of a magnificent covenant. A noble, respectable covenant, which was established upon what? Better promises. So, see, the covenant we are in, or the testament we are enjoying from, is a better testament based upon better promises. So, what the New Testament gives is not what the Old Testament gives. In the Old Testament, he says the soul that sins shall die. In the New Testament, he says if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation of our sins, and not for our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. So we have a better covenant, a better mediator, and better promises. Remember, promise to man is futuristic. New Testament promise is not futuristic. The word promise in the New Testament means an announcement. It means an assurance. So when God says, I've promised, New Testament promise is an assurance. It's an announcement. So don't look at this promise as something God is about to do. Alright, praise God. Ah, Thank you, Lord. I shared with you that there is no contradiction with the scriptures. The contradictions we have is our understanding of the scriptures. Very important thing to note. There is no contradiction with the scriptures. The contradiction is in our understanding of it. So if you are confused about the scripture, don't say the scripture is wrong. Your understanding, first of all, is wrong. If you fix your understanding, you can fix that contradiction you think is there. Are you following this? Now, the second thing I also made you note is that the meaning of a verse is always in the context of that verse. The meaning of a verse is always in the context of that verse. Always consider context and pretext and post text when reading the Bible. 
Consider pretext, context, and post-text. Pretext are the verses that follows the main scripture. Context is actually the outline of what the scripture is giving out. And post-text is the text that follows that context. I know you are confused, but it's okay. You understand soon. I gave an example, Philippians chapter 4, the verse 13, which a lot of people quote. He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. Now, this is a very beautiful scripture. But it does not mean you can do all things as you can do all things because you can't turn into a bed now. <laughs> you can do all things that turn your black shoe into white. You can do all things make me a short man. So, we need to understand the context. See, anytime you see all things in, in the New Testament, be very careful though. All things does not mean everything. All things must be understood in the context. Let's read the verse 10 to understand the context of this scripture. Watch. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last, at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein ye also are careful, but ye lack opportunity. Now watch the verse 11. That's what the context is. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in to be content. What is the context? Being content. Not being greedy, but being what? Content. Look at the next verse. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. In other words, I know how to live when I'm broke and I know how to live when I have abundance. That's what he's saying. So he says, everywhere and in... Are you seeing the word all things there? I have, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. That means I know how to live a hostile life, how to live plenty. Many Christians can't live that life. Anytime they are, they are broke, they say God is not there. Anytime they are broke, they say it's a demon that is following them. You must learn to endure hardship as a believer. Because not all hardships are demonic. Some are training to toughen you for the great task God has for you. So Paul is saying, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. See, we have been made by some preachers to think that anytime a believer is going through physical suffering, that means he's out of the will of God or Satan is attacking him or uh, uh, his great-grandfather who did not pay his tithe Oh, his great, 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 great grandmother who went to bring a certain God to the family. The God is called Otele. That's the one fighting him. So when he's suffering need, he does not go to the word. He's looking for the next prophet in tower in the worship. So when somebody is looking for a prophet, uh, what's the prophet way? Praise God. So he says, I've learned both to abound and to suffer need. How many of you here can suffer need? To be eating stockings for one week. How many? Some of you, you have the grace. You were born that way. I understand. <laughs> and there are some of you, stockings, stockings is your favorite food. It's not that you are suffering need. <laughs> Whether rich or poor, so keep go by. Hallelujah. Both to abound and to suffer need. So, are you seeing the context? The context is how to have 
to know how to live when I have plenty and to know how to live when I don't have anything. That's the context, right? Now look at the next verse. He says, I can do all things. What are the all things? These two things. To abound and to abase. To have much and to suffer need. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. So, if you are broke, Christ is the strength. That, that supplies strength for you to live and come out of that brokey. If you have abundance, Christ is also that strength that makes you live. So in both cases, Christ is glorified. That's what it means that you can do all things. Are you seeing context? You see how context is key? Good. Now, we are going to look at, look, this one will just shock you. Matthew seven twenty one, the most scariest scripture when I was growing up. Not everyone that said unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of the Father, which is heaven. Now watch this. He says, Many will say unto me in that day, Onia, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful deeds. Remember in this context, the, the Jews who were following Jesus, they were already doing it too. This one is not post-resurrection realities. Remember he sent out 72. They came out rejoicing because the demons were subjected to him. They were the same people who left him. When he says, eat my flesh. So know the context. These people called him Lord, Lord. So this Lord, Lord is not salvation, Lord, Lord. It is respect to the master Jesus when he was on earth. Now, many quote this out of context, which has brought me years ago into bondage. Thank God it's no more. He says, look, look at the next verse. He says, then I'll profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquities. Now, context is what? Key. Who was Jesus referring to? The verse 15. We'll see it there. Beware of Beware of Beware of It was in the same chapter. Then he says, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now look at the next verse. He says, ye shall know them by their fruit. What is fruit? Their works. Look at what they're saying. Saying Jesus, Jesus, did we not do fruit? Did we not do many works in your name? Look, do men gather grapes of tongues or figs of thistles? Now look at the next verse. He says, even so, every good tree that bringeth forth good, uh, uh, every, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. What is the context? False prophets. Next verse. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Context is false prophet. Next verse. Every tree that bringeth not good fruit is hewn down, cast into the fire. What's the context? You don't use this scripture to preach hell. Next verse. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. What is the context? False prophets. Next verse. Not everyone. Who is that one? False prophets. See, have you ever seen a prophet who comes in his name before? What name does he use? Lord. Have you seen a false prophet telling you I came from under the sea? So believe me, 
Have you seen a flower flower like? No, he comes in his name. So the context is key. The context is false prophets. This was not referring to a Christian. Thank you for that look. Number three. Don't study verses. Study thoughts. Now, this is very key. There are a lot of Christians who study verses as money devotion. You are in trouble. So they just open the Bible, take a verse, and say, this is my Rima. Rima. Well, I don't know the difference between Logos and Rima. Some say Logos is written. Rima is inspired. Both are the same. There's no... Don't confuse, don't confuse the whole thing. Logos Rima is word, word. Don't study verses. We don't study verses. Do you know why? Because the Bible was not written in chapters and verses. The only book that was written in chapters without verses was the book of Psalm. That is why you see in the book of Acts when Peter quoted that in the second Psalm. That was the only time you found out that the book of Psalm was written in chapters. Apart from that, all the writers wrote books. They didn't write chapters and verses. Chapters and verses are not even 200 years old. It was added for easy referencing. So imagine your entire Christian life reading verses and encouraging yourself. You can never grow. So we have believers who just take the Bible. Father, today is the day. Give me a prophetic, gangantua, dangerous, thought-provoking, heart-breaking, life-transforming insight. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure disease. Wow! Rima. Rima. That's how you've been reading your Bible. Rima. Logos Rima. Wow. What does it mean? Nothing. Because you missed the entire context. See, See, this is very important though. You don't study verses. You study thoughts. In other words, you are supposed to read the books. You cannot read Romans chapter 15 verse 30 and understand. Romans chapter 15 came from Romans chapter 1. Are you seeing that? See, even in this life, have you given a letter to someone and the person started reading from the middle? And that's what many Christians are doing. The epistles are letters, yet we read from the middle. So how do you get the thought of the author when you have started reading from the middle? When you're even watching a movie, that is past, you say rewind. But you, well, Bible, you don't rewind. <laughs> you see the problem? So many Christians get more confused by the day because of laziness. Listen, take your time. Read chapter 1. Make notes from there. Come to chapter 2. Make notes. And don't say chapter 1. <sighs> chapter 2 <sighs> no I'll give you a scripture I, I'll give you an example 1 Corinthians chapter 12 give me the last verse 1 Corinthians 12 the last verse the last verse please pay attention look 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 he says but covet earnestly the best gifts and yet I will show unto you a more 
excellent way. But that was the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul said he was going to show to us a more excellent way and he put full stop there. So if you are reading chapter by our systems like this, Paul said, I'll show you a more excellent way. <laughs> but remember, Paul wrote letter. He wrote a whole letter. So he's telling you that chapter was not there, verse was not there. You just have to continue reading. So you must have that same approach when you're reading. If you are reading as a letter, you will enter chapter 13, the verse 1, with this understanding. What is the last verse? I will show you a more excellent way. What is the excellent way? Chapter 13, the verse 1. That's the new chapter. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. So what is the more excellent way? Love! But you see, you could have started from chapter 13, the verse 1, but you will not see the import of the 12, chapter 12, verse 31. He's telling you before you read that love is a more excellent way. When a believer is walking in love, he will excel. Is it clear? Oh, thank you, Lord. I feel a lot of energy draining for me. Most of you are draining. Are draining me. It's good. Okay. Number four, one word could mean different things depending on the context. One word could mean different things depending on the context. So, we said, let the context do the explanation. Let the context do the what? Explanation. The fact that salvation means the same in Greek does not mean it has the same meaning in every letter you are reading. There are times that when salvation is used for physical deliverance, if you are saved from accident, it's called salvation. Yet, in another context, it's talking about we being saved from sin. So, you must allow the context to do the explanation. And I explained to you that agape is not the love of God. Agape is a word used to describe the love of God. Because, before Jesus came, people were speaking Greek. So Greek is not a spiritual word. It's a language people were speaking. These people were sinners. They were speaking Greek. So if you hear agape, don't say agape is the love of God. No, it is a borrowed word from Greek language used to describe the love of God. In another context, the same agape is talking about the love for the world. Go and read 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. He says, do not love the world. That same word is agape. But he says, do not love the world. Zoe is not the life of God. It's a Greek word used to describe the God life. <laughs> I don't know why you're looking at me like, is it evil or good? <laughs> so Zoe is a Greek word that was there before Jesus came to introduce eternal life. But it was borrowed to describe it in its best way. So agape is used to describe the love of God. But the love of God in itself is more than four letter words. Or five Greek words. It's only in Christ. See, the true definition of every word is in Christ. It's not even in Greek. It's in Christ. I'm teaching good here. Alright, so we are now coming to look at, just look at the time. One of the scariest scriptures that has scared a lot of believers. It is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. 
Let's finish this thing. So I'm going to do that one. Then if we have time, we can deal with the rest. Look, if we sin willfully or deliberately, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remained no more sacrifice. That is a jinko be if we sin willfully after that we have heard or received the knowledge of the truth there is no more sacrifice for sins what is going to follow give me the next verse but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation you see people don't like reading in context though. that's a problem though. people will take only chapter 20 uh, verse 26 and he says, the Bible, have you read? The Bible says, if you sin willfully, after you have received the knowledge of the truth, he says, there is no more sacrifice. That means Jesus himself can't save you again when you sin. So be careful. Now, look at the next, the, 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 the next verse should even just tell you the thing. He says, oh no, 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 come to 27. He says, but a certain fearful look for, of what? Judgment and fiery indignation, that means fiery anger, which shall devour their what is the context? Devour? Who is an adversary? One who opposes the truth. That means one who has not accepted the truth. Is the believer an adversary, an adversary of God? He says this indignation shall devour who? Adversaries. But listen, let me explain in context. Now, back to the verse 26. Let me, see, let me tell you something you might not have heard. When you are reading the book of Hebrews, you have to be extremely careful. Please notice. He says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, he says, There remained no more sacrifice for sins. Let me explain this. Now, please, and a big please, pay attention. Are you here? Now, the book of Hebrews is an entirely Jewish epistle. You need to write this down. Number one, the book of Hebrews is an entirely Jewish epistle. When I say Jewish, that means it is complete Hebrew. It was written to a Hebrew audience. A Hebrew or Jewish congregation. The entire congregation were full of Jews. So they were Eastern people. So you cannot use Western understanding or English-minded understanding to read Hebrews. You'll be found wanting. It's a what? A Jewish writing. Is that okay? That means the language that was used... The background and examples were all purely Jewish. That's number one. This is important too. Number two, never read Hebrews with Gentile mindset. In other words, you must read the book of Hebrews with a Jewish mindset. You must read as though you were Jew. So, you must read with the understanding, the sacrifice, the culture of a Jew. That means you need to understand the law of Moses before you read the book of Hebrews. You must have a Jewish understanding. You don't read with Gentile understanding. You will miss the whole thing. And I'm going to tell you why you need to read the book of Hebrews with uh, a Jewish understanding. Number three. This is very important. Until you have read Genesis to Deuteronomy, you can't understand Hebrews. Until you have read 
Genesis to Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses, or the Pentateuch, or the Torah, or what we call the law, he says, you can never understand the book of Hebrews. These three things are very important. If you have not read carefully Genesis to Deuteronomy, the book of Hebrews will, will be completely a mystery to you. Because every teaching came from the roots of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Without reading these books well, Hebrews will be mystery. Is it clear? I'll give you an example. Hebrews chapter 6, the verse 1. Forgive me if you are here for the first time hearing some of the things we are sharing. They are a little tough, but if you get our teaching from part 1, you understand. This is part 15 or 16. We are doing part 16. You understand? So, you can get it just like that. Alright. Now look. I know some of you have read this scripture before. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Hey. So he says we should leave the doctrine of Christ too, and we go, we go to more deeper things. What's more deeper than the doctrine of Christ? But you see, if you don't think like a Jew, this will be a mystery. Next verse. He says, and of the doctrine of baptisms, and of the laying of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. It's as though these are the deep truths. Look at the next verse, verse 3. He says, and this we will do if God permits. Now, back to the verse 1. We need to read with Jewish thinking. Watch this. He says, therefore, leaving the principles. The word principle there means elementary. Elementary or basic. Everything from Genesis to Malachi was elementary. The epistles are the real deal. They are the explanation of the real deal in the New Testament. So, Genesis to Malachi is called elementary. So, he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. The word doctrine means teaching of Christ. A Jewish man understood this. What he's saying is that in the Old Testament, they were anticipating the coming of Christ. It was said that Jesus is coming. No. The Messiah is coming. So if you read the Old Testament, you're going to find unto us a son is born, unto us, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You're going to hear truth that speaks about the coming of Jesus Christ. The government shall be upon his shoulder. So there were elementary truths that were concerning Christ. So now, Christ had come and he had died, yet the Jews did not see it. So, the writer of Hebrews was saying, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings of Christ, which is Christ is coming. He says, leave that one because the man has come. So, he says, leave that elementary teachings of Christ. He says, let's move on to perfection. What is the perfection? The true revelation that has happened in Christ. Look, look. He says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. The Jewish people loved repenting. Repenting was their food. If you read the Old Testament books very well, you're going to see every time they talk about God, won't do it again, no. Serpents will be biting them and say, Father, hey, won't do it again. And they'll be healed and they'll do it again. Then they repent. Then they'll do it. They'll repent. Paul is saying, listen, leave this, stop laying the foundation of this repentance from dead works thing. What is dead works? 
works that does not bring fruit to God. Simple. Look. <laughs> and of faith towards God. Every Jewish man believed God. But they did not believe Jesus. So he says, living that thing that I believe God, I believe God. It's not believing God. It's believing who? Christ! So he was saying the same thing to the Jews. That listen, live that thing that I believe God. God came in the person of Jesus. So believe Jesus Christ. Look at the next verse. He says, and of the doctrine of baptisms. It, see, don't think of it like we think of it today. He says, and of the doctrines of baptism. In the Old Testament books, everything they did, they, they were, the word baptisms there is baptismos, which means washings. Every sacrifice they did, they had to wash it with water. Everything they did, they washed the legs of the animals before they killed it. They, after they killed it, they washed it with water. Even before the high priest comes into office, comes into office, they will bathe him in water. So they understood washings. And the writer is saying that, listen, leave these baptisms because there was one baptism which is baptism into the death of Christ. Then he says, and of laying on of hands. It is not me laying hands on another man. In the context, like a Jew, when the priest receives the sacrifice, what does he do to the sacrifice? He lays hands to transfer sins. The Jewish people were still doing it. And Paul says, leave that thing. Because hands was laid on the Lamb of God and he took away the sin of the world. So he says, leave it. And of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Do you know that the Jewish people believed in resurrection? Because they saw Elijah raise someone from the dead. They saw other people raise people from the dead. But when, you see, all these things was a type of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When the real man was raised from the dead, they didn't believe. I'm just asking you, do you understand what I'm saying? Understand that word I hear it? Okay, That means I'll take it like that. With time you catch up, okay? Good. Number four. You need to understand the background of the book of Hebrews. Can you imagine? I'm explaining only one verse. I'm just explaining one verse. Look at the long journey I'm taking you through. You need to understand the background of Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews were written to two groups of people. Believing Jews and non-believing Jews. Notice that. Hebrews was written to both believers and unbelievers who were Jews. So the congregation was filled with people who were not believers and people who were believers, yet they all were Jews. Did you get that? So, the writer wrote it for two purposes. One, the believing Jews were being persecuted for believing Christ. So they were at the verge of leaving Christianity back into Judaism because they were under persecution. Number two, the writer wrote it to convince the Jewish unbelievers about Christ so that they can believe him and be saved. That's the context of Hebrews. Is it clear? Are you sure it's clear? Good. So good. Let's come to Hebrews chapter 10. So I'm going to now explain Hebrews 10 26. Is it 25 or 26? Yeah, 26. Now, remember this is Hebrews 10 what? 26. So we need to understand 
what the, some of the verses said before he came here. Is that clear? Watch the verse 10. What the Bible said. Hebrews 10, 10. Pay attention. He says, by the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus. How many times? Once and for all. This same verse is telling us that we are sanctified forever by the sacrifice of Jesus' body. Did you see that? Number two, look at the verse 11. He says, and every priest standard daily ministering and offering of time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Look at the next verse. He says, but this man, Jesus, after he had offered how many sacrifices? One sacrifice for sins. For ever. Sat down on the right hand of God. He's saying in the Old Testament, all the priests stood because there was no chair in the tabernacle. The reason why there was no chair because the offering for sins was never over. So God imprinted the minds of men that sin was never over. That means if there is no chair, you come back to do another sacrifice. That means sin was never over. But the Bible is saying that after Jesus offered one sacrifice, he sat down. He's telling us that he has dealt with sin forevermore. Once and forever. Clear? Good. So, look at the verse 13. From henceforth, expecting to his enemies he made his foot too. Look at the verse 14. He says, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Do you see in the verse 10, he says we are made holy. The next verse, he says we are perfected. Now he says we are sanctified by the offering of Jesus. Now look at the next verse. He says, wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that, he had said before, watch. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Say the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, write I them. Uh-huh. He says, and they are, and they are, and they are, and iniquities will I remember no more. It is in the same chapter 10. Come to 26. In 26, he says, for if we willfully sin, remember, he says, for by one offering, he has taken away sins, he has perfected the believer, he has sanctified the believer, he has made the believer holy, and the Bible is telling us, he does not remember our sins anymore. Now he says, if we willfully sin, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, let's dissect it. First of all, what is willful sin? Another name for willful sin is deliberate deliberate sin question let me confuse you a bit is there anybody here who has sinned undelib- uh, uh, undeliberately here that you say hey is there anybody here like that you, you should tell me that you sinned by, by you didn't know that you sinned like Jesus what am I doing boxer shorts Is there anybody like that? Then after I say, hey, what is the condom doing here? Hey! Now, no, explain, talk to me. Is there anybody that has done that before? That you sinned undeliberately. Your sin was undeliberate. After you finish and you kiss, Jesus! Have you seen that before? So, every sin is willful. It is deliberate. You deliberately sinned. Please, are you getting this? See, nobody sinned by mistake. You knew what you were doing and you did it. 
Clear? So this sin is called willful sin. We have to explain it. This sin can only be committed when something has been done. Watch. He says, if we willfully sin, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. So you can only commit this sin after you have received a certain knowledge. You can only commit this sin after you have received a certain knowledge called the knowledge of the truth. Question, what is the knowledge of the truth? In context, what Paul has been saying from chapter 1, Hebrews, to chapter 9, that's the knowledge of the truth. <laughs> Let's go from Hebrews chapter 1 into chapter 9, into chapter 10. So we understand the knowledge of the truth, right? Hebrews chapter 1, if you read chapter 1 from the verse 1 and 2, it tells you that Jesus Christ is the exact precise image of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, the verse 4, the Bible says Jesus provided for purification of sins and sat down. I'm giving you the knowledge of the truth. Though. That was what the writer was communicating. Can you see it? So that was the knowledge that Christ has purified them and then sat down once. In Hebrews chapter 1, the verse 5, down to chapter 2, the verse 1 to 15, the writer was saying Jesus was greater and better than angels. In chapter 2, from the verse 17, he said Jesus made reconciliation for sins. I'm giving you the knowledge of the truth. Jesus made reconciliation for sins in Hebrews. Be giving me the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 2 from the verse 17. Now, in Hebrews chapter 3, from 3 to 6, he says Jesus is better than Moses. In Hebrews chapter 4, from 1 to 11, he's saying Jesus is better than Joshua because he is he that brings true rest to man. In Hebrews chapter 5, he was arguing that Jesus was better than all the priests. That was the knowledge of the truth he was giving to them. He was better than all the priests. In Hebrews chapter 6, he said Jesus is better than all the Hebrew rituals. In Hebrews chapter 7, he said Jesus is better than Melchizedek. In Hebrews chapter 7 again, he said Jesus is better than Levi. In Hebrews chapter 7 again, he said Jesus is better than the sons of Aaron and Aaron, Aaron the high priest himself. Because he's the better and great high priest. In Hebrews chapter 8, he said Jesus himself is better than all the old covenant systems. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says Jesus' blood is better than every blood that came before him. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says Jesus' sacrifice rendered every other sacrifice useless and his work sanctified us, perfected us, and made us holy once and for all. That was all the knowledge of the truth from chapter 1 to chapter 10. So, watch it. What is willful sin? He says, back to 26. If we sin willfully or sin deliberately after we have received all the information from chapter 1 to chapter 10, which is the revelation I'm giving you. In other words, if you reject all this knowledge, that is your sin. Because that's the only sin you can deliberately commit. <laughs> 
the deliberate sin a man can commit is to hear the gospel, know it, and still says, I don't believe. That's willful sin. What's another name for willful sin? Sin against the Holy Ghost. What's another name for willful sin? Unpardonable sin. Remember, Jesus said, you, uh, if you sin against, sin against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But sin against the Spirit cannot be forgiven, not in this age or in that which is to come. Now, people think that sin, I heard someone say, when a man of God is working miracles and you, you, you say it is not from God, you have committed an unpardonable sin. I say, you... <laughs> voilà. <laughs> See, if you're a man of God, no matter what you do, they will talk about you. So that one is not sin against the Holy Ghost. It's a normal sins against men of God. <laughs> so, he says, if we sin willfully, that sin willfully is willfully rejecting Jesus. That he's better than Moses. The Jews thought Moses was bigger than Jesus. The Jews thought Aaron and his tribe were better than Jesus. And Paul, the writer, explained all these things. He says Jesus is better than angels. He's better than the priests. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the high priest. He's better than any animal sacrifice. That was sacrifice. He says when you receive this truth and you says, no, I reject it, you have committed a willful sin. And look at what he says. He says, if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remain no more sacrifice. Because he has explained the sacrifice to you and you rejected it. So which sacrifice can sacrifice for you? Are you getting this? He has explained all the sacrifices. And he said, no, I won't believe. Will there be sacrifice for sins for you? No. So, he says, there remaineth no more sacrifice. Because the one who sacrificed everything for you, you don't believe. Can there be any sacrifice? Next verse. He says, but a certain fearful looking of judgment and fiery indignation we shall devour there. The moment a man rejects the gospel, he has decided to oppose God's work and God's purpose. Immediately, he becomes an adversary. working with Satan, agreeing with the devil. Are you seeing that? Now, look at the next verse. Watch. For you to even know that a Christian cannot commit willful sin. Because the Christian willfully believed the gospel. So he has escaped it. Look. He, look at the context again. He that despised. Are you seeing the context? What is the context? To despise the finished work. He says, he that despised Moses' law, died without mercy. Under two or three witnesses. Look at the context. Next verse. Of how much? See. Of how much sorrow punishment suppose he shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of Christ that opened the new covenant wherein he was sanctified and a holy thing and has done despite unto the spirit of grace. As a believer than this. Because the believer has respected the blood of the covenant. That's why he saved. The believer has received the spirit of grace. That's why he saved. This man throws it under food and says it is useless. Take it away. I don't need this foolish gospel. That's the man this scripture was talking to. No more sacrifice can save him. 
No more sacrifice can save him. No more sacrifice can save him. Because the ultimate sacrifice was rejected. Look at the verse 30. He says, for we know him that has said, vengeance belonged unto me. I will recompense, say the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Now, look at the verse um, 38 and 39. That is what seals what I'm saying. That this scripture was referring to those who rejected the knowledge of the truth, which is called the gospel. Are you ready? Watch. <laughs> look at the context. Now, the just shall live by. So what was the problem? Unbelief. That was the problem. But he says, now the just shall live by faith. If any man draw back, who is the man that draws back? The man who rejects the gospel. He has drawn backward. He says, if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Look at the next verse. Look, when he was referring to the Christians, he says, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Seven of the soul. Woo! I love the gospel. Woo! 